Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Abby, Abby Ferrero-Hilty. Um, lovely to be uh, spending time, some time with you, Abby. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Simon. So a fellow adoptee, um, born in Colombia, yeah? Yes, in Bogota. Bogota, yeah. And that, that's the capital of Colombia, is it? Bogota. Yep, yeah, that's right. Um, and now in Canada. Um, with st- stops in the way in Switzerland, uh, Glasgow and London. So uh, a, a real globetrotter, literally. Yep, been in a lot of places, but um, Toronto, uh, Canada is home now. Yeah, cool. And have you settled in it? Because it's been a couple of years, has it? Two, three years? Yeah, three almost five. This oh, summer wow. will be okay. five years. Yep, I, I think time has been a bit strange with the pandemic kind of settled right in the middle of those five years um but yeah it's a it's a great city the winters are rough I mean if you ask uh true Canadians they're like oh my goodness you know Toronto winter is nothing and which is true compared to you know Winnipeg and a lot of other places here but for me uh Colombian uh adoptee I'm still freezing here yeah but I love it it's a great city yeah I've just been speaking to somebody from Winnipeg, actually, literally before the before this conversation. Not an uh, a, a, not an adoptee, but somebody, and she was saying how how chilly it is. Um, so before we hit the record button, um, I was sharing with you that uh, I, I'm trying in the in the interviews with the guests, I'm trying to mine your wisdom, mine your insights, uh, mine your mine your learnings in the nicest possible way. So that um, that they can catalyze some some insights among the among the listeners, right? And you were saying that uh, we we want to believe stuff because we think we are right. I think you said something like that. What can you put that in your own words? Yeah, for sure. So we were kind of talking about this, you know, when when beliefs are are busted, right? And I think that we develop beliefs for many different reasons growing up and as adults. And, you know, we believe in something presumably because we think we're right, right? We believe that that belief is correct. And a lot of people, most people, myself included, we don't want to, we don't want to have that belief busted. We don't, we don't really want to be shown that that's wrong because we've been, you know, living by that belief for however long, but then often there's a catalyst, a trigger, something. It could be a, a TV show. It could be a conversation with a friend. It could be anything. And suddenly that belief um, kind of comes into question or we realize, wait a minute, maybe maybe I was wrong here. Maybe that belief isn't right. And that's when, you know, that's the, the busting of the belief that an external cause um, triggers that, that, you know, questioning of a belief. And then um, when we really examine it, we might realize we were wrong. And then where, you know, where do we go from here? Where do I go now? How do I rebuild? What is, what is real or what is my new truth? Yeah. I, I heard uh, a, a great analogy from this, uh, of this, I think, um, from a, a British guy called Rupert Spira. And he talks about um, the fact that the, the moth is drawn to the flame. Um, but when it gets close, 
close to the frame, it feels the heat. So this isn't a Winnipeg um, winter, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feel it, it feels the heat, and it and it draws back. So there's this there's this um, and 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 then it it goes again, right? It draws back and it draws again until it actually is consumed in the fire. So this is um, another metaphor is like a, a similar sort of thing, a metaphor for beliefs, is that they're, they're, they're like the bouncer on our brain, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, the doorman. The, yeah. You're not, you're not coming in here, you know, um, and I'm thinking about one night in, I've only been to Glasgow once. It was a, um, a bachelor party, or what we call them in, in Britain, um, a stag do, right? Um, so, you know, you have these big, hard, tough Glaswegian bouncers. Um, and, you know, you're not coming in here. So our, our beliefs act like that. So, you know, we hear something uh, and, and the bouncer on our brain says, no, this doesn't, this this doesn't stack with my model of the world, mm -hmm. and and um, so yeah, there's a there's a there's a pain really. There's a there's a pain that we go through um, when a when a belief is challenged. Right? Yeah, there's that kind of approach and retreat, right? And I think there's a oh, lot yeah. of metaphors yeah. for that along the uh, adoptee journey. Um, you know, we, we approach things only so much as we can at any given time, and then it becomes too much. We get a little too close to that flame, and we retreat for a while. And then it could be days, months, years, and then we're drawn again, and then we approach again. Uh, I remember really early on when I was a teenager, I had a therapist who always used to say, you know, feelings are never wrong, but beliefs they, they, they can be wrong and they really need to be questioned, you know, again and again. Um, so if you feel sad, if you feel angry, your feelings aren't wrong. But the belief system, perhaps, that has led you to those feelings, your belief system behind all that, that can be wrong. And beliefs can and should be questioned along the way. Yeah. So um, what are your most significant belief-busting moments been? Oh, that's a really good question. Belief busting moments. I I don't think I can say I ever really felt like my personal adoption or adoption in general was a good thing. And then that belief was busted to realize that it is really like a, a system of oppression. I think in the back of my mind, there was always that feeling that something wasn't right, that it didn't oh, it didn't really make sense. Um, so I I don't know. I think I would say that therapy has been super helpful to me, and I know a lot of people. I'm, and I'm talking in general, not just specifically the adoptee community at all, just in general. You know, I think therapy is still almost a taboo topic, right? Oh, you need therapy. Oh, you're in therapy. You need help. Um, you know, oh, then that that must mean, oh, you're 
your parents must have done a number on you or something must have caused you to need this, right? I think mental health is still a big taboo topic. So maybe belief busting in terms of, you know, realizing that therapy has been um, super helpful to me along my journey and that at different times, different therapies, different therapy modalities, and even different therapists themselves um, have been either right or wrong for me in that time. So I guess the belief busting for me there, sorry, I'm getting to it as I speak, is that, you know, realizing that my therapists that I've had along the way and all therapists, like everyone else, they're just people. They are not, um, they're not perfect. And sometimes they may not be a perfect fit for any individual client at any specific time. And sometimes you realize, you know what, it's time to move on from this specific therapist or maybe this therapy modality and, and look for something new in order to progress further, right? In order to, I don't know, get a little closer to that flame. I, I think we're drawn to that because there's something there that we need or want, or it's like your, your analogy of the, the club in Glasgow, right? You want to get into the club, but you're afraid of the bouncer. So how much do you really want to get into that club? What are you willing to, to risk in a way, right? In order to get access to that. So in order to get access to a no, a new place, a new belief, what am I willing to risk? So I think, realizing that even good relationships with therapists um, come to an end and that, you know, we can, we can move on in order to progress. Yeah. It's just, I had a, I had a coach who, uh, and this was a, a, a business coach, allegedly a business coach, but really she just calmed me down a bit, right? <laughs> this is going back a long time ago. She just slowed me down a bit and got, she never ever told me what to do. Um, well, she never ever, I asked her once, right? Uh, so I had a small team, like five of us in this publishing co company. And um, I said, um, uh, Hayley, there's something I'm not doing right. I know you don't, you know, I know it's your. It's 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 strictly not what you do. It's not your um your your model at all. You never tell me what to do, and you never tell anybody what to do. You help us to our own. Uh, you help us to our own conclusions, and, and that takes ages, right? <laughs> to, <laughs> to try and coach people, you know. That's and that's why they're you know the I don't know. um. So I said, on this occasion, can you just tell me what I where I'm going wrong? And she said, um, I, I gave it the outline. And she said, so what do I need to do? And she said, uh, you need to make sure that everybody is trained to do their job, all your staff. And that was like, that's hopeless. Do you know what I mean? That that's that's that that's not going anywhere. You know, that, that's just too vague, you know, like, you know, it, it, it's just, it's like a, she's just given me a, a, a brush off. Yes. Of, you know, how, how there is, there is, there's a right way to wire a plug. But, you know, will everybody be ever trained to do their job? It's not a yes or no, it's a, it's a spectrum thing. So, but she helped me and, and, and we, but then I kind of, I, I outgrew her because, 
we didn't it, it the, the 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 success the one good year that I'd had after 15 average years and two or three really terrible years didn't they didn't they didn't do it for me they didn't make me happy right so I went from the coach the coach took got me so far and then somebody else had to take over and she realized I think she realized that she'd done she'd taken me where to where she wanted to to where she was capable of going and um and then it was somebody else down to somebody else to take over but coincidentally she kind of led me to the next person because the the next person that helped me was um a, a speaker and his wife um who's from Glasgow actually funny mm -hmm. um and you know and I went on uh went spent some time time with them on a retreat a retreat with them and which was all about who who we are and who we're not and what makes us happy and why why things that we expect to make us happy don't make us happy and the voice in our head and kind of this sort of stuff look I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place yeah but that's what I'm saying it, it, there's an overlap you know one one person takes us so far and then yes. the next yeah person. Kind of and I think you, you said it really well that, you know, we, we outgrow, we can outgrow people in our lives. And that could mean, you know, relationships, friendships, um, jobs, romantic relationships. But I think also recognizing that, you know, we outgrow therapists too, perhaps coaches, um, things like that. And, and just, you know, if, if one modality isn't working anymore, then, it may be worth it to try something else that, that you've never tried or hadn't considered. Um, there's a lot, there's so many options out there and not all options require um, an actual therapist in terms of, you know, I know that most um, health insurances don't cover mental health, or if they do, it's really poor coverage. And I think that's, that's kind of like a norm uh, in, in many, many countries to the detriment of so many people. But I think there are definitely ways of working on yourself without having to be in that typical therapy. Um, because a lot of that is kind of inaccessible to a lot of people. Um, but there are, I, I truly believe it and I have experienced it that there are, there are ways of working on yourself that don't require that. There are people out there, like, just like you and me, non, um, you know, non-therapists who are interested, um, in working through a lot of these things together. I think that's where, for me, community ties in peer groups who, um, who discuss things, who meet regularly, who discuss things. And it doesn't have to be only adoptees or only whatever your target group is, right? It could be different people from different walks of life, but we're, you know, when you all can come together uh, regularly and discuss um, different kinds of, you know, techniques of, of going inside and working on yourself, but in community together with other people. So that's something that I've found super helpful. Yeah. So um, you 
when I listened to you uh, on Haley's uh, podcast, you talked about uh, finding in-person groups. So how do you see the distinct, how are they distinct, the in-person groups compared to the virtual groups? What, what, what do you think is that, what do you think are the differences between the, the two? I think the pandemic has changed a lot of things. Um, prior to the pandemic, um, I attended regular in-person, uh, a regular in-person to actually support groups here for um, adoptees. One was for adoptees only, and one was for um, you know, birth parents could be there. Um, and it, I, I just found it super helpful to actually physically be there in a room with other people and be sharing and be witnessing their experiences. Just, I don't know, just that there's something about that in-person physical connection. But then, you know, the pandemic came along and I have to say that a lot of groups have not come back in person. And the online groups are great because that allows people from different continents, different time zones, different places to share and to be together, which is impossible if you pick any one location in the world. Inevitably, people from another continent can't be there, right? So there's definite advantages to that. Um, I love in person, but I also see that you know, that I'm, I'm involved in a, a peer group right now, um, an internal family systems peer group. And we are from, the members are in two different countries. Uh, we're in very distant locations geographically from each other. So an in-person weekly meetup would be impossible. So having these, this opportunity to be online together um, really opens up a lot of a lot of avenues and a lot of doors that that aren't possible in person. So there's they both have their advantages and you know disadvantages as well maybe. Yeah. Um there's something about the energy isn't there? The energy yeah. the group the feeling the group energy. You, we can we can feel we can feel group energy when we go into um you know when the bouncer lets us in or not, right? You know we can feel mm -hmm. the group energy in 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 all these in in all these different settings, and we can feel when where we're feeling comfortable and where we're we're not. Um, I was also thinking that you know you've got the they've got the virtual you know the the Zoom rooms groups, mm -hmm. and you've got the in person groups, but then you've also got those um, those Facebook groups which seem to be like a, a county mile um away they're just it's it's just uh, well there's so many of them that are trauma dumping trauma bonding venting uh and doesn't seem to be i haven't found one that's that, where there's a lot of healing going on yeah i think in groups like that, as well as on other spaces like Twitter, you at least I you know I have to be really selective about which groups um, I want to stay in. Maybe I'll join more, and then you know you're there for a little bit, and you're like, nope, this isn't a safe space for whatever reason. You know this this isn't for me. And to be able to just be like, you know what, I can walk away, 
Um, on the other hand, I think some of them bring together some extremely knowledgeable and experienced people. I think they often bring up really good discussions uh, if you find a, a decent group. With, and, and I think a, a key to that is also the admin or the moderator of the group. You know, some groups, they have three admin who are never there. Like they, you know, they, they just, they're just kind of figureheads, but then you have groups that maybe have one admin and that person is active. That person is really good at, um, I don't know, making sure that the right people for the group are, um, are admitted, um, making sure that people feel safe in the group, um, making sure that information is shared in the group. So I think it really depends on the the admin and maybe also the the place that that I am as an individual at any given moment. Today this group is right for me, but um you know last year this wouldn't have been the right group for me. I think and maybe that comes back to the whole belief system, right? What were my beliefs before and what are they now and where do I, you know, where do I see myself slotting into some of these groups? Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned kind of belief, belief busting or belief changing. So how would you, how would you see your, um, what shifts have you kind of seen in your own beliefs, would you say, through, through as big or as little time? I would say beliefs in... Um how I, you know, the difference between reacting to something and responding to something, understanding what, what a trigger is, what triggers me um, now, what doesn't trigger me anymore. I think just the beliefs that, that I can change behaviors in myself that are not supportive of what I want to achieve, right? That I, I have the power um, especially working in community with other people, but I have the power within to change, you know, my own limiting beliefs and behaviors. Yeah. As, as opposed to, well, you know, I suffered trauma and therefore this is the way I react. Okay. That that's true. And in, you know, as, especially as, you know, as young children, uh, if you've experienced certain traumas and certain things, you, you know, you automatically develop behaviors that will help you to survive. You have survival behaviors that are extremely important. But as we grow up and we become adults and we recognize that those survival mechanisms are no longer um, helpful, right? Now, now, actually, that behavior that saved me is really holding me back from what I want to achieve um, in 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 anything, right? In relationships, in career, whatever, whatever it is. And just realizing I don't need to have, I don't need to hold on to those things anymore. I can work on them and I can change things inter like from within, right? I can, yeah, I have the power to do that. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that, Abby? Um, an example, I would say just, you know, I've done different types of therapy. Um, I've done talk therapy, which I think helps to a certain extent or helped me to a certain extent. And then taking it from there, um, working with different 
modalities such as um, IFS, internal family systems, and EMDR. Oh, now you're going to challenge me to remember what that stands for. It's, a, um, I think, eye movement desensitization reprogramming, something like that. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure I'm butchering that. But it has to do with eye movement. Um, so doing, you know, working on those things has really changed the way certain memories and events in my life have affected my current behavior. And um, I mean, just, just an example, I was in, I was in a shop with one of my children and um, a man came in the shop and uh, it was, it was obvious that he wasn't going to buy anything. And the staff came over, they were really nice. And they said, can we help you, sir? Can we help you with anything? And very soon after that, and for whatever reason, I didn't hear their exact dialogue, but a fight broke out, like a physical altercation between the staff and this man. Um, and my child and I were in the direct path. I could see, um, because I was facing the altercation, I could see that things were headed towards us and that we were not, based on where we were standing, we were not going to get away without uh, without being hit in some way by this altercation. And we were, um, and we were fine. We didn't, you know, no, no one sustained any major injuries, thank goodness. Um, they got the man out of the store. It was really upsetting to me um, to everybody, I think that there were a couple of minutes after, um, you know, they got the man out of the store that there was just, and this was like a busy day on a Saturday in the middle of the afternoon, there was kind of like a hush and nobody knew really what to do. And then uh, I think the store manager kind of just said, okay, is everyone okay? Just kind of took stock of everything. And, you know, he's out, um, we're going to call the police. Um, so everyone is safe now just kind of, you know, checking and everything was fine. And I'm looking around at everybody and they're starting to go back to their conversations, starting to go back to what they were doing. And I am crying. I'm talking, you know, I got my mask on and there's just tears and like, I'm uncontrollably crying. And at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a, this is a trauma response of mine. No one else is, you know, everyone has been shocked, but no one else is responding in this way. It's just me. Um, and I was also at the same time thinking, you know, I don't have any anger or animosity. This person was clearly somebody who needed help, who wasn't getting that help. And this is the result of that. Um, so it was really upsetting in the moment. And then, you know, I kind of gathered myself and I was okay. We finished what we had to do. We left, we went home. And then two days later, I think it just so happened or whatever that I had my my therapy session and I was relating this incident and it was it didn't bother me anymore. Like it, you know, I thought that talking about it was going to upset me, but that was, it, it was gone. Like it, I, I, I dealt with it in that moment through like letting myself cry, realizing what the response was. And then it was, it was gone. Like I, you know, somehow internally I had processed it in the moment. And I think previously it would have been something that I would have rerun in my head again and again and again, but that didn't happen. It was just, I processed it in the moment while it was happening and then it was done. Yeah. So it was a shift 
in you. Yeah. So if that had, if that had happened, uh, is what you're saying that um, that thing, if that event had happened ten years earlier, it would have it, the, the the aftermath would have gone on longer. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So you were able to, you you had a sorry. You had a reference. So I just muted while I was coughing. This is um, uh, we haven't gone away. Uh, so you, it gave you a reference point. So it, it's it's hard to judge. I think it's hard for us own to to it's it's hard for us to see our own beliefs, mm -hmm. and it's also hard to see when um see our own progress too. But but in the moment. Oh, not in the moment, but after after the event, you could see. Obviously, I've made some progress between um, now and 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 then because the aftermath didn't last as long. Exactly after this uh, event, yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes we need those external catalysts to make us realize these things because otherwise, how would I? How would I know, right? How would I, how would I realize that? You know, I needed something to happen in order for me to see my reaction and then to see my, um, you know, the, the aftermath, like you said. So, you know, it's, it was really, it was really amazing. And I was surprised. And then I find myself second guessing because I was like, is it healthy that I'm not? <laughs> You know, like replaying this again and again that 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 I've seemed to have processed it, or is it unhealthy? <laughs> I was like, no, no, this yeah. is definitely a good sign. This is definitely a, a like a good sign that I and I know that you know if this had happened years ago, it would have I would have had a different response. And and just that awareness in the actual moment it was happening, I remember looking around at everyone in the store, and although people were shocked. No one else was crying like me. And I was like, I know what's happening. I know this is a trauma response. I just need to let it out. And then, you know, and, and then we'll see what happens. And because I was able to recognize that, I think, and let it out in the moment, that was like processing all of it. And then it was it was dealt with. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, I listened to a, a fantastic podcast this morning. Um wasn't an adoption one. It's more of a, yeah, belief system one, mindset kind of one, and oh, it, it it was it was genius. It was genius. I'm going to put a link in in, in the show notes to it. Um, so the the the, the you you've heard the I'll be happy when kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. like, so I'll we, we've all got an I'll be happy when. We live in a society and a culture in the West is, is, is I'll be happy when. So I'll be happy when I get a new job. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I pay my mortgage off. I'll be, I'll be happy when my, uh, when uh, this one's for me, right? When I lose the um, little muffin tops that I've got <laughs> on the back of my, right? Uh, at the, the top, of my, top of my jeans. Um, so I can fit into uh, uh, speedo budgie smugglers. Um, you know, we all we all have this. Yeah, sorry, sorry, that you, I shouldn't. <laughs> that's going to be stay with you. Um, 
brush it. We've, we've all got this I'll be happy when thing. And and um and, and I was thinking like what's what's the uh, the adoptee equivalent one, right? So I'll be happy when um I uh I'll be happy when I find my birth mother could be one of them. Or I'll be happy when um my birth mother rings me back because she's being she ghosted me on social and it did for 20 years. There's this I'll be happy when and, and this whole podcast is like I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And it goes really into an exposition of that, of, of, of that question. So what is it that the one thing that we need to change um, that we think is finally going to make us happy? So, but she does it in such a way that it, it, we, we can slot our, our own X. Mm-hmm. Our own X into the into the formula. So mine um, is: I'll be happy when I can make a living out of making a difference. That's that, an awesome one. That's an awesome one. But it's it's, it's awesome, but it's also a stick. It's I, I've been kind of I've been delaying my own peace of mind for about. 12 years on that on that thing mm-hmm. and different people have told me and but i'm getting i'm, I'm getting the same kind of um I, I i'm i'm getting that lesson at a deeper a deeper level right so sometimes we 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 believe that that learning is once and done thing so once we've learned that two plus two equals four like we know that forever. You know, once we've learned to ride a bike, that's it. We know it forever. But with this stuff, it's uh, it, 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 it's it's the same learning at a deeper and deeper level. I find. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think, especially for people who have been displaced through adoption, that the facts or the truths that we are told change over time as well so you know we some people were given the story of um you know your your mother couldn't take care of you so she did this because she loved you some people are given the story of your mother was a drug addict some people are given you know there's a million different stories a million different reasons and over time as we search as we learn as we uncover things those facts change so i think that how we also like our belief systems what we believe though that changes a lot too because we may realize we may come to realize that some of the information that we thought was true was actually either misinformation or outright lies and then those things kind of shape your fundamental beliefs right because everything that you believed was true wasn't and therefore everything that you built on all the beliefs that you built on top of those beliefs those are now right you you question that that now too so i think it makes sense that these deeper understandings, it's all layers. And I think a lot of it comes with the the fluidity of truth in adoption. 
I'm going to have to listen back to that because that sounded really eloquent, but and my mind was going 10 to the dozen. And I, um, I, because I, my next question, and with what's my next question? And so, have you had any beliefs busted about trauma? You're asking all these difficult questions, Simon. Um, beliefs busted about trauma. Um, I mean, there's, there's. I would say the fact that a lot of people um, didn't and still don't believe that a baby or a young child before what we think is the age of permanent memory, like let's say before the age of two or three, we're like, oh my goodness, that child was so young, that baby was just a baby, it can't possibly remember what happened. So there can't really be trauma there because it, you know, it was a baby. But, um, and I think a lot of adoptive parents were told that. They were told, don't worry about it. Just love this child and it won't remember anything and you will become its whole world and it will all be fine. So um, it's kind of the denial of trauma that is has been busted for me for sure because um i definitely believe i mean i was adopted at at three months right and i was taken from my mother literally at birth so you know one could definitely argue well you don't have any memory of her but i truly believe and there have been many studies about how babies you know like newborn babies they recognize their mother's scent they recognize her picture even though they've never or they haven't had a lot of time to see her because they're newborn they've been inside of her um so i really believe that there is trauma associated with early um separation maternal separation and that that trauma is compounded by all of the other uh, practices in place around adoption, right? Being then not just separated from your mother, but then being um, brought into a family of strangers and being, you know, which is normal practice, being renamed, being, um, you know, told that this is your mother, your father, your sister, whatever it is, um, that there's, there's, yeah, that a lot of trauma is compounded upon the original separation trauma, and that those things are real indeed, and that they do have um, long lasting effects, and they cannot just simply be conquered by love. So yeah, that's what I would yeah. say. So I thought I was stuck with it. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I was stuck with it and um, so people say well simon you um you, you seem to be very positive and and i say well yeah and i and and, and i'm gonna go straight i'm gonna go straight and be you asked me where i'm from and uh, so i'm from yorkshire i live in i've lived in yorkshire since I was five weeks old when my mum and dad collected me from uh, Liverpool. 
in Yorkshire, we, I don't know if you came across this, we've got a, a reputation for being a bit blunt and sometimes overly uh, uh, straightforward. You know, we call, yeah. a, we call a shovel a shovel, a spade a bloody spade. You know? <laughs> so the, the, the big, the, the biggest belief bust I've had about trauma is the, the fact we are not our trauma. Absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. we, it, it's we it, it's it's uh, so you, people look at trauma from perhaps two main perspectives. Uh, you know, like a traumatic event, so history, something in the past, and 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 a um, a current feeling and a lived experience. So when that stuff was kicking off in the shop, you had that um, uh, that that triggered some triggered some trauma, some very intense feelings. So feelings. Um, the, the essence of trauma, I think, is a, a feeling, really. Mm -hmm. So we're not our trauma. The reason that we're not our trauma is because we're not our feelings. Right? And feelings aren't permanent, right? Like you, feelings, feelings are, are permanent. momentary, right? They, they last for a sh relatively short moment in time. It could be seconds, minutes, hours, but it's not, it's not a, a permanent state of being. Yeah. So, but this goes back to the, my kind of um, once and done thing. Yeah. So we think, oh, um, I've heard uh, somebody say, you know, beautifully and eloquently as, as what you just said, I've, I've heard somebody say, our feelings don't last forever. I think I'm ready. I, I think I've. Uh, I, it, 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 I've heard that before. I've felt the separation between me and my trauma. Um. But it's come back again. Mm -hmm. So we because we think that learning is once and done, whereas tr trauma. Uh, yeah, trauma gets triggered, so we think we haven't learned our lesson because we think it, we think that learning is once and done, and then we get, and then th I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking about my experience here, so we get frustrated. We think I've learned that. Why is it still I, affecting I, me? Why is this happening? Why has it come back again? Why 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 is this tra trauma thing come back at me? So. I, I, there's, there's something there must be something really wrong with me because I've been there, I've I've done that, I've learned that, I'm over that, and now it's back. Um, uh, and and then we're starting to fight against it again. We're fighting against something that is, and um, as you say, that that kind of comes and goes. Yeah, and I think what I've learned definitely from the IFS work that I've been doing is that, you know, there's so many parts to all of us and 
if you try to fight them instead of meeting them with curiosity, then you don't, you can't really get to know that part of you, right? It's hard to get to know an opponent when you're standing there with your boxing gloves on and you're about to punch them. It's easier to get to know somebody when you're when you approach with curiosity and you you know you're you're genuinely genuinely interested in what that other person has to say and that to me that goes along with how i approach my different parts you know like oh part of me and i think all of us say this you know part of me is really angry that but part of me feels yeah that's a good thing right that we you know there's there's so many parts that we have. And instead of saying, oh, I wish that angry part would just stop already. Doesn't get me any further because I'm still not understanding why that part is angry. So if I can approach that part with curiosity and say, you know, I really want to understand the part of me that gets angry when this happens. You know, what what is that? What's going on? then I can I can start a relationship, a, a better relationship, a more communicative relationship with that part of me. Uh, and still recognizing, just like you said, that learning isn't one and done. It's like when you buy a car, right? You get a car, you still have to maintain it throughout, you know, if you want it to function, you have to, you know, for the old gas guzzlers, right? You got to uh, change the oil every so, what is it, every 3,000 miles, whatever it is, right? You got you, you have to get all kinds of things. You have to maintain your car or it's not going to drive and, or it's not going to drive well or it's not going to be safe because the brake pads have gone. So I think that's how I've, I guess maybe that's a, a you know, a belief buster, you know, that I've learned, like you just said, you know, things aren't just one and done, you know, there's, there's a constant um, maintenance to be done. And while we do, you know, while I have seen progress in myself, in my reactions to things, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm totally in the clear now. I'm good. I can, you know, I mean, that never happens because we're all works in progress. And, you know, there's always different parts of us that come up at different times and, you know, to approach them, and to approach ourselves with, with curiosity and the recognition that we're not perfect, nobody is, and one and done doesn't really make sense uh, when it comes to emotions, when it comes to human relationships, and also the relationship that, you know, you have with yourself, counting that as like your, you know, a, a serious, a very serious, the most serious relationship maybe that you have, right? That, you know, things are always fluid. So the one and done thing, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The um, I was thinking back to an email that I wrote to somebody uh, yesterday. Somebody had um, fellow adoptee, and I I found myself writing some response back, and and it was it was something on the lines uh, of fighting my feelings never ends well for me it's it's almost as if fighting our feelings it it, it escalates mm -hmm. 
it, 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 it escalates. Fighting feelings escalate. Um, and it, it never leads to, to peace. So we're either, we're trying to fight our feelings. Um, we're trying to numb our feelings, uh, which is all the whole uh, uh, addiction, whether that's an addiction to, to Facebook or alcohol or whatever it is, or shopping or, yeah. Um, so these... Yeah, I, I I love to sum stuff sum stuff sum things up in in bumper stickers, but have the deeper understanding behind it, so that fighting fear, fighting feelings, never leads to peace. Yeah, and ignoring them doesn't doesn't lead to that either, right? That's the, that's the other thing. Oh, I just want that part of me, that sad part, that angry part, that whatever part. I just want it to go away, right? That doesn't that doesn't make it go away because we can say that for years and realizing we I've been saying the same thing for years and it hasn't gone away. Maybe that strategy doesn't work. Right. So I think it's it, it has to be approaching it, recognizing it, respecting it and approaching it and trying to understand it is going to lead to a better outcome, whatever that outcome is, than either fighting it or wishing it away and ignoring it or trying to numb it, cover it up. I was talking to um, a fellow doctor yesterday about this. and He, he reckons that. Um, uh the majority of adoptees are trying to ignore it. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting one because I obviously I'm in a space where everybody's working on themselves, you know, or have worked on themselves or, or want to come on a podcast talking about it. So they are definitely not ignoring it, right? So my in, in in but my part and so this was a real eye opener for me. I thought oh, he's saying, "Well, I'm, we're trying we're trying a few different things." And he said, um, "I want to I want to reach the people that are ignoring it." Well, I mean, we're told to ignore it, right? Like we are told this is oh, your right. family now. This is, these are the people who love you. Um, you know, you should be grateful. You should be happy. So we're told to ignore the fact that wow. we were adopted because we were separated from our families, right? Like familial separation is what has to happen first in order for a child to be quote unquote available for adoption, right? If you are, you know, safely, snugly, uh, you know, and stably within your family, you can't be adopted because you're within your family. So you need to lose that in order to be adopted. So we are told to ignore all of it, right? We're told, well, just, you know, now you have a new family and that's awesome. And get on with your life. So we are told and society tells everyone adoption is a win-win-win. So what are, you know, what's, what's even happening? It's not looked at as um, systemic oppression of women, children. It's not looked at 
as like a legalized form of human trafficking, right? That's we don't frame it that way. We frame it, we as in society, frames it as, you know, a win-win-win situation. Everyone's happy. So we are conditioned. Even people who aren't adopted or people who aren't adoptive parents, just the general public is conditioned to ignore um really the, the truth of the matter. So it is, I mean, and obviously nobody knows all the adoptees in the world and how they feel, but, you know, I completely could understand that people would, you know, um, that adopted people might ignore their feelings about it because that is really what we are conditioned and told to do. Yeah. Wow. It's like I I said, I raised, I made the comment and, and then like it, it you you come up with that and like how come i hadn't seen that before you know it's it's got to be true because like if our parents adopted parents are told to ignore it right act as if yeah mm -hmm. uh, act as if and 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 we're gonna um the likelihood is we're going to be our, our conditioning because we get most of our conditioning as we're growing up from the adoptive parents. Then we're going to we're going to do what they do, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also a fear, at least amongst many children, you know, if I misbehave, will they send me back? And some, I know that some people were threatened that, you know, by, by um, abusive adoptive parents, you know? So we, not only are we told and conditioned to ignore things, but I, I would argue that especially for young children, it's a survival mechanism. You have to ignore a lot of things. You have to ignore the truth because you need to survive. That's right. That's the goal. That's the goal of life. You, you need to survive. So whatever I need to do as a three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old with extremely limited resources, you know, and if that means ignoring things, then, then that's what I need to do. And it's not a conscious choice. I think no. that's, that's just what, you know, our brains do to help us. And then that's, that's the thing that I know that I need to work through all of those things. I don't, I don't need to just survive anymore because now I'm an adult with resources, with an education, right. With, with opportunities and a lot more capacities than I had as a, as a child. So now it's my turn to recognize that, um, you know, there are things that I, I don't want to ignore anymore because they're they're holding me back. Yeah. But it's a hard realization because it's it's not always fun <laughs> to work through all of those things, right? They it's it's not easy, it's not fun and I think you need um a community around you and it could be in person or it can also be online. Yeah. But it has to be like a a a community, a group of people that you really that you really trust and can connect to it. Yeah. Wow. That's big. 
Um, is there anything else? I'm just conscious of time. Is there anything else that I've not asked you that you'd like to share or any questions for me or anything at all? I don't know. Just, I, I think just, you know, meeting you is another example of the, the awesomeness of the global community of um, displaced and adopted people that I know I didn't have, and I'm sure you didn't have growing up to the extent that we have it now when there was, you know, there was no internet, there was no way, unless your family personally knew some other families, but the, the, the level of connectivity that we have now to each other is staggering. And um, like you said, it can be harmful in some groups, right? Some online areas, um, but it can also be super supportive and, um, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and I really appreciate um, the global community, the, the access that we have to it and the ability to choose who we want to interact with within that global online community because we simply had no choice. Um, my generation, certainly, I, I had no choice as a child. There was there was no global community that, that I had any access to. So yeah, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, listeners. Um, and uh, we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.